Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, pointer is to um, focus on your posture and your breathing. Try to breathe in God and breathe out self. Um, is everybody ready? Yeah. If so, let's start the meditation. right here on this banner there's cards in front of your seats god let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying 
can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a great way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Javier to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Javier? Good evening, my name is Javier. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be here. This is a spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 to 568. Thank you. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Tonight we have Tom doing his 12th session with us. Um, every week thus far has been great. Um, he gives it to you raw and uncut. I say the same thing every time. Um, a guy like me didn't need somebody patting me on the back. I didn't need somebody wiping the snot off my nose and listening to my pity party. 
I needed somebody to tell me to shut up and, and grow up. And um, that's the message that I hear from Tom as well, is to shut up and grow up, become a man, become a woman, whatever it is. Um, so with that, help me welcome Tom. How's everybody doing tonight? Great. Let me put let me put this hat on here. <laughs> ah, that's a lot better. So my name's Tom. I'm an alcoholic. You know, and uh, there were these two guys that uh, were in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time. They were long timers, you know, not old timers. Long timers. You know how you get to be a long timer? You don't drink and you don't die. That's how. Okay. But one of them did pass, and they were they were best friends. One of them passed, and his friend missed him an awful lot. And one night, his friend appeared to him in a dream. And he said, oh, buddy, he says, someday you're going to be here with me, you know, and, uh, and it's great. I love it, you know. And he said, his friend who was dreaming said, really? He said, well, what's it like? He said, well, he says, I got good news and I got a little bad news. He says, well, what's the good news, you know? And he said, well, the good news, he says, these meetings are great up here. They have huge meetings up here. The best people from AA are all in these meetings. He said, well, that's great. He says, what's the bad news? And he said, the bad news is I'm afraid you're chairing tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want that. I'm not ready for that dream yet, okay? <laughs> they haven't had a spiritual awakening. You know, the 12th step is three parts, okay? And that first part is haven't had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. You know, I've uh, I've had a lot of spiritual experiences. You know, and I don't think that we should confuse a, a spiritual experience with a spiritual awakening. You know, my first spiritual experience came to me years before I was ready to get sober. You know, how many people have been with me the whole way through because this is what we're doing now, the whole thing? How many? A few, yeah, good, good, okay. So uh, for the rest of you, let me just give you a little background, okay? Uh, I'm in my 33rd year of, a, of being without a drink or a drug. But that's not when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous 43 years ago. I was 21. I'm 64 now. And I spent the first 10 years going in and out. And I had some time in every one of those years. The only reason I came here was to get out of trouble. I didn't come here to change. I came here to change the outside because it was the outside that was getting me in trouble. 
So all I needed to do was just, you know, get everything back that I had lost and get people off of my back. You know, I, I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous because out here on Sample and Powerline Road in 1973, I ran into a bunch of people. That was all uh, bell peppers and lettuce. That was the farms in those days. That was dirt roads, you know, and two-lane roads. And, uh, and the problem was I did it in a blackout, and I heard a bunch of kids that had to have plastic surgery. And so for the first time, I felt remorse. And I was going to school on the GI Bill because there wasn't any construction work, and a man who was a Korean War veteran saw my face because my nose was smashed and my whole face was black and blue. It broke the steering wheel with my face. He asked me what happened, and I told him. And he talked to me about alcoholism. Nobody ever talked to me about alcoholism. I'd started drinking at 13, started shooting dope at 17. You know, uh, I'd been thrown out of the Army for being a heroin addict. And uh, I'd never heard anybody talk to me before about a disease called alcoholism. And riding home that night, you know, after speaking with him, I was sitting on that bus trying to figure out what my problems were. Why did I keep having the problems that I had? And it was like a little whisper of a voice that wasn't mine inside my mind said to me, you know what your problem is, Tom? Your problem is you're an alcoholic. Like that man's talking about. That's the first spiritual experience. I went home and I found out where there was an AA meeting. And I went there. I didn't want to be there. And I figured out at that time, you know, that it was a good idea maybe if I hung around there. And so that's what I did. I hung around for about nine, ten months before I had to get in front of the judge. You know, but I didn't want anything to do with what they were suggesting there. I look up there at those steps and I see, yeah, okay, I got a problem with alcohol. I don't drink any alcohol. I don't have any problem. Case closed. I don't need any of the rest of this. I just need a place to hang around because I don't need to be hanging around in the bars and stuff and getting in more trouble because I'm in enough trouble as it is. And so when I got in front of that judge and he asked me, what's your problem, son? I knew exactly what to tell him because I'd learned that in AA. I said, well, your honor is I'm... I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. That's what my problem is. But if you give me a break, you won't see me standing in front of you again. And that judge did the worst thing that he could have done. He gave me that break. Because you see, I'm the kind of guy that you can give a break to. Because I'm a user and an abuser of drugs and alcohol and people, places, and things. And I used that. I learned something right then. 
I learned how to use Alcoholics Anonymous and use the good people in it. And I spent the next 10 years doing that. But the problem was the progression of alcoholism. You see, alcoholism has a trick for you. If you live, the progression of it will beat you up so bad that you'll die or get sober eventually. One or the other. You're either going to die or you're going to get sober. That's what happens to all of us. All of us in and outers. All of us slippers. I'm not a relapser. I didn't relapse. I intentionally got drunk. I didn't get drunk through no fault of my own. I'm one of them long timers, you know, that believes in that. What slip means. Sobriety loses its priority. Other things were more important than working this program. And then, you know, after the progression of alcoholism beat me up so bad where I, never, I no longer had the power to stop drinking anymore, after 10 years of doing this, and the periods of time that I spent out there, they got shorter because I went to the bottom faster. And the periods of time that I could spend sitting in these rooms, they got shorter too because it's hard, really hard to sit around here and be so phony, pretending like you're doing the deal, like the other people are doing. And you're not doing the deal. You're just playing the game, the waiting game. Until you get all your stuff back. Until you get out of hot water. And then you're going to go right back to where you came from. Because you don't want to change. That's who I was. But the progression of alcoholism kicked my butt. And so after all these years, I find myself sitting in a jail cell again. And sitting in that jail cell, you know, and I've been going in and out of jail for years trying to figure out, what's my problem? Why do I keep having these problems? Why does this keep happening to me? And the whisper came back. And it said, you know what your problem is, Tom? Your problem is you're crazy. That's what your problem is. And the reason you're crazy is because you think you know how to run your life. But you can't. And the problem is you believe you can and that's why you're insane. Spiritual experience number two. And you know what I said that time? I said, that's the truth. That's the truth about me. The truth about me is not only am I powerless over drugs and alcohol, which means that once I start to put them in me, I'm not going to stop. But that my life is unmanageable. That my thinking doesn't work. My way doesn't work. I can't go on what I think. It doesn't work. But still, you know, and I, I begged them to take me into treatment. They put me in the VA hospital. Put me on anti-abuse. And of course, in the back of my mind, I still had the reservations, you know. I mean, I had a reason other than getting sober. 
I was going down for hard times. And I knew, you know, that maybe if I went into a federal facility, like the Veterans Hospital, the state's attorney of Florida couldn't get his hands on me. And that worked. I always been shifty that way. You know? I'm a conniver. I know how to play the angles, shoot the curves. I'm a controller and a manipulator, a rationalizer and a justifier. Assume my conscience, minimize my guilt, give me the ability to do whatever I think I need to do. That's who I am. That's what alcoholism made me. This disease called alcoholism. This disease that centers in my mind. And that's a talking disease that talks to me. Talks to me all the time. You know what it tells me? It tells me I know how to run my life. And it tells me I know how to run your life too. And it tells me I know the way life ought to run. I know. I know. I know. I got a son like that. Every time I tell him something, it's, I know that. I know that. See, he knows everything. You can't tell him nothing. That's the way I was. I knew everything. You couldn't tell me nothing. Until alcoholism beat me up really good. And I got a gift of desperation. That's a spiritual experience. That's what I had. And inside that VA, I was sitting at the table one day and all these other men were sitting around. I was 31 years old. I'm a Vietnam era veteran. I'm sitting there with Korean War veterans, World War II veterans. I'm 31. They're in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about how they've been going in and out of AA for 25, 30 years. How they've been in and out of prison for years. It's wintertime in Tampa, Florida, and, and, and they come down to the VA every winter like it's a resort or something. <laughs> they go through the AA treatment program. They get off of the streets of Chicago and Philly and New York where it's colder than hell, where a man can die in the doorway. And I sit there and I look at those guys. And I think, these guys ain't dead. They're sitting at the same table I'm sitting at. And I'm not going to die. I might go in and out of prison for years, like I've been going in and out of Stockade and County Jail for years. But I'm not going to die. I'm just going to keep on living this stinking, miserable life of an alcoholic over and over and over. I always ran here because I was afraid. Afraid of my consequences. Something happened to me that day. I got a desire to have a different kind of a life. I didn't want to live that life anymore. I wanted a new life. I decided to get off of that merry-go-round, get out of that revolving door. I made up my mind right then that I was going to do whatever was asked of me. That was a spiritual experience. When I came
came out after two months, I went to go walk in the old Legion Center house, and an old man named, well, he's an old man now, he's in 91, and he's been sober 55 years. But he still calls me on the phone and asks me to help some guy. You know, so-and-so, I'm worried about him. Give him a call. After 55 years, 91, he's still worried about somebody else. He stood in my way. He had the audacity to not let me pass into the central house of Delray Beach. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the meeting. He said, you don't want to get sober. I says, oh yeah, I says, I'm sober two months. He said, I heard in the VA hospital, that's easy. Had you on anabuse and stuff, that's easy. Well, what are you going to do now? And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, all I want you to do is what I've been trying to tell you for years to do. I didn't even know who the hell he was or what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> but I had a huge resentment towards God. The God I had was a punishing God. The God I had, the way I seen him, I judged him like I'd judge another man. Because the way I seen that God was he did nothing but punish a bunch of good people and reward a bunch of assholes. How could he be a loving God like these people in AA were always telling me about? That was BS as far as I was concerned. And I said, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to get on your knees and ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober. And I looked at him and I said, after all I've been through, years of this, and the progression of my alcoholism, you know, defiance is the characteristic of the alcoholic. Defiance is the characteristic of the alcoholic. The basic characteristic. I look at that man and I say, I don't see how that's going to do any good. And he told me one of the best things anybody's ever said to me in AA. He said, how's your way been working, wise guy? How's your way been working for you? What are you going to say? After 10 years of going in and out, you can't put any time together. And over the years, the time gets less that you can put together. What are you going to say? Your way's been working just great? No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say what I said. I didn't even say you're right. I said, I guess you're right. That's how much ego I still got. I guess you're right. And then he said the best thing anybody in AA ever said to me. He said, well then, I guess what you believe in doesn't work then, does it? I said, maybe you got a point. He said, well, you know what? I'm not asking you to believe. This is not about what you're going to believe. This is about what are you willing to do. That's all this is about. Are you willing just to do that, just to get on your knees and ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober? And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll do that. Because he told me I didn't have to believe. He gave me an out. He told me all I had to do was just take an action. I didn't have to believe it first. I just had to do it. Just do it. You're willing to do it? 
And I had become willing finally. I had gotten honest, I'd gotten open-minded, and I'd gotten willing. That's how it works. H-O-W. And that's what I did. And I lived with the obsession of drinking to use for months. Then one day I came out from underneath the building where I was digging ditches and I went down the street to get me a sandwich. And then I, I came out of the 7-Eleven and I looked into a window of a car that was sitting there and two other construction workers were sitting in and they had quarts of beer between their legs and they had the frisbee turned up, cleaning the seeds, rolling joints, and my eyes glued on that stuff. My eyes glued on it. Because that was me for years, every lunchtime with the quart of beer and the reaper. And I started walking down the street and I got back underneath that building and I sat inside that ditch and I started thinking, those guys are getting high. They're getting high. And a thought came to me. I haven't thought about getting high. I can't remember when the last time was. And I started to cry. I was glad that I was underneath that building by myself. Because you see, I came to realize something, that my God loved me. My God loved me, and my God was so powerful that simply because I did something another man asked me to do that I didn't believe in, it worked. That he was so powerful when he took it from me, I didn't even know how long it had been gone or even know that it was gone. And I came to believe. That was a spiritual experience. Then I worked the fourth and the fifth steps. And after I worked the fifth step, it was like a huge weight had been lifted off of me. I'll never forget that as long as I live. All of that was washed out of me. Took hours. Took a long time to write it. But my sponsor told me, you know, remember, you can write too little, but you can't write too much. When I did the third step with that same man, Dennis O., after the men's meeting on Sunday morning, he said, we're going to work the third step. And all the other men had left. And he asked me to get on my knees with him. We're the only ones in the, in the American Legion Hall. And I'm looking around, making sure nobody was going to see me kneeling on the floor with this old man. That was a spiritual experience. When I came to realize the depth of my selfishness and self-centeredness through working the 6th and the 7th and the 8th and the ninth, the 10th and getting to the 11th when an old man who I shared about last week gave me the prayer of St. Francis and asked me Tom did you ever think of doing any, asking God to do anything for anybody but you? And me realizing that I never had. Me realizing at that moment when he said that, getting that clarity that came to me, that said to me, 
I never even asked God to help my mother and father. I never asked God to do nothing for nobody but me. That's when I realized the depth of my selfishness and self-centeredness. That's what this self-centeredness is all about. That's why I say I got from Bob Anderson, why I say I don't know who you think about all day, but I know who I think about. I think about me. I wake up in the morning thinking about me, and I go to bed at night thinking about me. The only time I think about you is how it relates to me. That's who I am as an alcoholic. That was a spiritual experience. What I'm trying to explain is what I believe is one of the most important parts of the 12th step. That you can't awaken to this way of life without all of these spiritual experiences occurring in your life through the process of getting sober. It's real easy to stay sober on the first three steps or maybe be a two-stepper. Just do the first and the twelfth. But the life isn't there. If you really want this life, if you really want to be awakened to this, there's a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. Now, I think I talked about this before in one of the other step meetings. We live in three dimensions. Who lives in the fourth? God. God exists in the fourth dimension. And have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less. That we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. We have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life. Toward our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. So you think after 33 years my life is manageable now? If you think that, you're wrong. Because you see, I got alcoholism. I don't have alcoholism. It ain't never a wasn't. It's an ism. And I wake up every day with untreated alcoholism. And I need to treat my alcoholism. 
That's what practicing all these principles in my affairs is about. My life is unmanageable, but it's not unmanaged. It's managed by a power greater than me through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. A day at a time. Through the steps. From that comes a spiritual awakening. From that comes uh, what our, our good friend Dr. Silkworth said, unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So I guess that's what the deal is. The deal is I need to experience an entire psychic change. That entire psychic change didn't happen with any one of those spiritual experiences that I got done talking about here. It happened by all of them. The entire psychic change happens by the practice of the principles in all my affairs. Constantly. I am a believer in steps through application. All of the steps. Meant to be lived all the time. You know, you you will hear, you know, people there. Just, you know, look, I'm not in a place of judgment. But there's a lot of people in meetings. One of the things I loved about what Bob Anderson used to talk about, he'd say, you know what? These meetings are necessary, but they're not going to get you sober. And there's a lot of people that are good at parroting. I was a parrot for years. In other words, that's talking the talk. And not walking the walk. And they're good at parroting. They'll parrot all kinds of stuff. But the bottom line is that you can't give away something that you haven't got. That's not to say that you can't help somebody. You can start helping somebody right away. There's lots of 12-step work you can do. You can make coffee. Guy asked me one time, he said, well, what can I do? I said, well, why don't you make coffee? And he said, well, how long do I got to do that? <laughs> and I said, well, I made it in this one group for seven years until I got my buddy to come there, and he made it five more, so you figure it out. <laughs> was a very small group, okay? <laughs> and I just happened to be the one who could get there before, you know, because the other people were still working. I didn't mind. It's the easiest place to make coffee. I ever made coffee. All I had to do was just put it in there and hit the button. Not a big deal. <laughs> I like in the old days making those great big pots of coffee, you know? You know, that's where I started, you know, was... Sweeping up, cleaning up, cleaning the bathrooms, setting up the chairs. In the old days, we used to smoke in meetings, cleaning all the ashtrays, you know, breaking down the, the meeting. There's always somebody that's, that's got less time than you, even if you only got a day. Maybe there's somebody that just walked in. 
So don't say that you can't help somebody. Because you can always help. Service in Alcoholics Anonymous has been my saving grace. To be of service. You don't want to miss that. You do not want to miss being able to be of service in Alcoholics Anonymous. And you can start in service right away. You don't have to wait. You know, uh, I think there isn't a job that I haven't held. I just, I'm a big believer in having a commitment. It's good to have a commitment. Because a commitment keeps me accountable. And so, you know, just because I've been around here for 33 years, that doesn't mean I graduated. I haven't graduated. I still remember what my sponsor told me a long time ago. Tom, in here, we got no report cards and you're not going to graduate. So I haven't graduated. You know, it's the reason why I showed you before. The medallion I carry says one day at a time. Because that's what I need to remember. That is what this is about. It's about a day at a time. And it's about staying in the day that I'm in. And that gets, that's hard. I know it's hard. It was hard for me. I was always thinking about yesterday, projecting about tomorrow. I was a daydreamer my whole life. I was always someplace else. Because that's how I came to this. I was always restless, irritable, and discontented. I always wanted to be somebody else and be someplace else and doing something else. I never wanted to be where I was or who I was. I was not happy. That's our problem. We're not happy with who we are. And so we think that we can fix ourselves when we feel inferior we try to fix up the exterior we compare other people's outsides with our insides we think that somehow some way if I just manage well that I'm going to be happy that's what I always thought That's why this book tells my story. That's why the first 164 pages are all about me. Especially when we get after how it works. Where that line comes from. I'm that guy who thinks that if I can just arrange everything, and if I can just get everybody to do what I want them to do, if everything would just go my way, If I could just get the right girl, the right amount of money, the right car to drive, the right place to live, if I could just arrange everything, if I could just have everything my way, then I'm going to be happy. And all I really am is just an addict. 
addicted. You know, you know what my problem is? My problem is unhealthy dependencies. That's what my problem is. Unhealthy dependencies. And that means, that doesn't just mean drugs and alcohol, that means people, places, and things. I think that somehow this stuff on the outside of me is going to fix me. And I go around my whole life trying to fill this hole. <clears throat> trying to fill this hole. And I don't care how much I put in it. I can't ever seem to get it full. It's never enough. I got the disease of more. If one tastes good, you know, it's like Lay's potato chip. <laughs> can't have just one, can you? What AA taught me was that the hole can't be filled, but it can be healed. And God makes that possible. And so I never apologize to anybody for my complete and total dependence in a power greater than me. Because that's where my dependency lies. My dependency doesn't lie in drugs or alcohol or people, places, and things. Because I came to a realization. Now what I'm talking about is a spiritual awakening. Through the process of the steps. I came to that realization. It brought me to what Father John Doe called beyond sobriety. And I wanted what was beyond sobriety. I want peace of mind. That's what I came to alcohol for. When I was 13 and found a bottle of wine in the woods. Because all my life I was restless, irritable, and discontented. Until I found that bottle of wine and I sucked it down. And I got peace of mind. That's why we have a better way. And it's also why we can't seem to ever convince anybody of this way until they've had enough. That's why I ask when I take them, are you done? Are you done? Because if you're not done, don't waste my time. You know what I'm responsible for? I'm responsible to carry the message. I'm not responsible to carry the mess. I don't carry no messes. I carry the message. A guy asked me, he says, uh, well, uh, how, do you, how, do, how do I get you to sponsor me? Well, you go where I go. You do what I do. If you want, if you want me to sponsor you, then you're going to have to chase me, okay? I ain't chasing you. I don't call nobody on the phone unless you leave me a message and say, give me a call, then I'll call you. There's a man sitting in the back of the room here tonight. That's how he got next to me. He wouldn't leave me alone. He's followed me around for months. Every place I went, he was there. He put himself in front of me. I couldn't avoid him. <laughs> that's how I got from the people the things that I got I chased them they didn't chase me 
I beg them to, to let me be in their presence. Because they had what I wanted. And what they had that I wanted was peace of mind. They had a smile on their face. They were serene. They wore the world like a loose garment. <coughs> Nothing ruffled their feathers. Nothing shook them up. They didn't need anything or anybody to make them happy. They're happy all on their own. Happy with themselves. And it shone through them. It shone through them like a bright light. A light so bright that it blinded. I still follow them around today. That old man. That's 91 with 55 years. Still shines as bright as he did the first day I met him. 33 years ago. I've known wonderful people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous has been a wonderful life for me. I never knew what I needed. I only knew what I wanted. I had to learn that only God knows what I need. And I'd let him give it to me. I gave up. I learned that from these steps and from practicing these principles and what I you know I bugged the hell out of my sponsor Tommy Noonan you know who told me once because he always had all these things he wanted me to do you know and I said to him geez you know you expect an awful lot out of me and he said Tommy all I expect out of you is for you to change your whole effing personality that's all I expect because your whole effing personality needs changing well, I'm still working on that. And I hope that I never feel as though I need no work. Because when the day comes when I feel that I need no work on me, I'm on my way back out. Because that's the thing about this disease. There ain't no sitting still. Either we're moving backwards towards a drink or moving forwards away from it. And you know when my job will be finished? My job will be finished when I go to that big meeting up there with my good friends. Because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them that I know that have died sober. For me, that's all this is about. It's not just about living sober, but it's about dying sober. It's about taking this a day at a time and doing what I can to carry that message, you know. It's like I told you before. If you think I came here for you, you're wrong. I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. Because I need to be here. I need to sponsor people to keep me sober. That's what this program's about. It's about giving, not getting. And that's all the problem with me was I was always all about getting. I wasn't about giving. I'd like to close tonight with uh, something that's 
close to my heart, especially for this meeting and this time. There was a, a man by the name of Sam Shoemaker. He was Bill's spiritual sponsor. He was the Oxford group. Him and a fellow by the name of Frank Buchanan. And that's where this God-given program comes from. It's the foundation of AA. So this is Sam Shoemaker's poem called So I Stay Near the Door. I stay near the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is and all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stay near the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die. On cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it live because they have found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stay near the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. Go in a vast room and house, this house where God is, Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture a little farther. But my place seems closer to the open. So I stay near the door. The people too far in do not see how near these are to leave it, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door or would like to run away. So for them too, I stay near the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got it. Then they would be able to help the people who have not even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long 
and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him, and he know, and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them, and remember they are there too, where? Outside the door, thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stay by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stay near the door. We got him a limited edition chocolate and carry water uh, coffee mug. We got two refrigerator magnets. Oh, yeah. And a nice lapel pin in there. Oh, lapel pin? Yeah. Wow. Supporting declining outside contributions. Uh, the baskets are now going to go around. And I've asked, in the meantime, I've asked Shane to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. I'm Shane, a recovered alcoholic. Hey, what's up? Uh, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the, alcohol, the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from Ford to Second Edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Could I get a show of, ha uh, of hands of recovered alcoholics? And then anybody in need of a sponsor, please raise your hand. If you guys could stand up real quick for me. For us.
All right, so we'll get uh, we'll get together with you guys after the meeting. Thanks. Um, join us Monday nights for our big book study. It's on the third floor upstairs. Uh, the big book comes alive. Fellowships at six thirty. Big book starts at seven fifteen. We have large print big books and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. Uh, we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Uh, thank you and see you next week. Tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. I have just one quick reminder. There's a 75-foot no smoking, no vape by the door. So if you guys could please do me a favor and just make sure that you go to the left side for the smoking area. Don't just walk out the front door and and light up. Please respect the church. Um, Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it is not the temptation, but the See you all Monday.
Thank <laughs> you. 